world-class bagpiping in 100 words. Every day, listen to masterful bagpipe music. Interact with bagpipers better than you. Play at least one tune on full bagpipes. Most days, hone essential fundamentals in this order of priority. 1. Rhythmic accuracy. 2. Scale navigation. 3. Grace note quality. 4. Blowing mechanics and posture. 5. Tuning drones together. 6. Maintaining optimal blowing pressure. 7. Tuning drones to chanter. 8. Avoiding mental blowing anomalies. 9. Embellishments. and 10. Expression technique. Practice as wide an array of tunes as humanly possible. Be wary of routine. Keep practice very short, singularly focused, and objective. Afterwards, play strictly for enjoyment. Regularly put yourself in new, challenging musical situations. Play for self-expression, never for accolades. It is succinct. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I saw, so basically, um, we're in a recent episode, we were talking about CrossFit stuff. And so uh, Greg Glassman, the guy who invented CrossFit, he did this. Mm. And he had, and, and this is basically, I mean, uh, it's the exact same thing I tried to do that he did, which is like, can we boil this down to 100 words? And I think that I finally got it down to like 103 words or something like that. Like it's mm. ever so slightly over 100 words. But that basically sums it all up. It's pretty cool how uh, well it turned out, actually. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I sent this over to you because I think it would be cool j if we went through this piece by piece together, uh, all the ingredients are there, and I thought it could be cool for people to kind of listen in at, uh, yeah, as we go through it. Yeah. Well, right um, off the bat, I get excited about listening to masterful bagpipe music. I don't, I don't know if everybody in the world is like me, but I've always been the kind of person who wants music going constantly, whatever I'm doing, headphones, speakers, something. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that I'm like well listened in terms of like having listened to all the bagpipers out there. I certainly haven't, but it's something I love doing. And so having something like this that tells me that that's good for me, it just, it like adds one more little thing to feel great about, you know? Yeah. Not only is it good for you, uh, it's probably the most important single variable, right? Uh, and we would call that, you know, when we listen to bagpipe music and when we interact with pipers that are better than us, um, uh, we would call that immersion, right? Uh, here at the dojo, but you could call it whatever you want. But basically, you can't become great at something um, without having seen it or experienced mm. it. Um, and I mean, I guess there's... I guess that's maybe only 98% true. I suppose at some point you could do things that are truly new uh, and interesting, uh, but that would, that has to come from somewhere. And a lot of things that you miss, uh, a lot of things that bi pipers miss, you know, they go to band practice, they're hanging out with pipers that maybe at best are as good as them. Maybe, um, a, you know, a large number of them aren't really as good as they are. Um, so you just kind of go there and it ends up being like this sort of uh, just social experience uh, where there's no real envelope pushing musical activity going on at all. You're never outside of your comfort zone and you're never really experiencing, you know, what bagpipe music and culture really has to offer. 
Uh, and so it's no wonder that you can never, you know, uh, improve your technique past a certain point, right? The, the quality of what we immerse ourselves in is nine tenths of the battle. And like the, you know, the classic joke is what's the best way uh, to learn to speak French, right? Uh, and the answer to the, the punchline to the joke is that you got to get a French girlfriend, mm. right? Right. That's the best way to learn French, you know, and that's that's a play on the exact same concept. Right. It doesn't matter. You can have as many textbooks as you want. But if you're not uh, immersing yourself in French uh, culture and if you're not incentivized uh, in strong ways uh, to get fluent in the language, then it's probably not going to happen. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah, that, that first little bit is about immersion. Yeah, um, that totally makes sense. I, if you don't know what the potential for the instrument is, then you don't know, like what's where, you know, exactly. You don't yeah, know they, what you don't know. You don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how do we interact with bagpipers who are better than us? If like, I've, I've been really lucky to have really good friends, like who live geographically close to me, who I interact with on a regular basis, who play with like grade two bands and who solo open and grade one. And so I've been really lucky in that way. Not mm -hmm. everybody, is geographically close to and has social ties like these are people who i went to high school with you know so lucky yes. me right i'm not one of them in terms of that high grade of playing but i know people who are there and so good for me right but that's not everybody so how do we interact with pipers who are better than us if we don't happen to have gone to high school with somebody who becomes an amazing piper it's a great question and the answer is it doesn't matter you have to find a way mm -hmm. uh you know um in order to move forward so that's the real answer. But like, we can just talk about a couple other things. When I was first learning to play, um, we had, we lived in Syracuse, New York, and we had some decent bands uh, in, in Syracuse directly. But we actually, my dad ended up taking me uh, a couple hours to the east to join the Mohawk Valley Frasers because they were a higher level group at the time. Uh, in mm -hmm. terms of like in the types of instruction and mentorship you would get when you played in the band. And of course, Donald Lindsay at that time was teaching the Mohawk Valley Frasers band on a regular basis. And I think my dad knew this. And so he knew like, okay, if you want to get good at bagpipes, you're going to eventually have to end up uh, hooking up with Donald Lindsay because he, you know, he's just, uh, when it came to teachers in the Northeast of the United States, you know, he's up here. And everyone else, they might be good teachers, but they're not quite like Donald, right? So, so mm. I think my dad sort of foresaw that was like, okay, if there is going to be upward mobility here, this is the place to be. And so, you know, uh, so we traveled and we did that. Uh, and then, you know, through Donald, I met all sorts <laughs> of extremely famous people. I think like within, within like 13 months of learning the scale, I was, you know, sitting down with Jim McGilvery, Alistair Gillis, Norman mm. Gillis. And I was in these classes with, uh, you know, players that were excellent. So I was, I was hanging out with other students. I, you know, um, I'll always re remember Vicki McGinnis and what a great player she was. I don't think she plays a lot now, but uh, I always remember, I'll never forget that even though I was the young hotshot kid that was really good, she whooped my ass, period. End of story. She's just better than me, um, and it, mm -hmm. you know, and it sucked, and it was uncomfortable, but it was also obviously great for my development. I had, you know, a role model to shoot for, or like a, 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 at the very least a standard to kind of shoot for. Like, yikes, okay, I got to get to that standard. Uh, but then, like, you know, it tends to once you're in that, once you're pointing in that direction, it tends to compound 
against itself. You know, like going to the summer schools, I think for a, for a North American player, going to the summer schools is key, right? You can mm. hang out. You can literally hang out with like Angus McCall and Willie McCallum and stuff, you know, um, and, you know, and in addition to hearing them perform and going to classes with them and all that kind of stuff. So you have to, you know, especially if you're in a geographically isolated region, you have to seek out those opportunities and just kind of sneaking in uh, the dojo, right, into the conversation. Uh, we have, tr you know, done our very best to provide that immersive experience for our members, right? Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, it's all done online, of course, but, you know, we're piping in your Jack Lees and your Willie McCallum's on a fairly regular basis and, you know, your Glenn Brown's. And then, me, and then we have our core group of staff instructors that are, you know, the best possible quality of people and the best possible quality of teacher we can think of, you know, uh, for that very purpose. And I sometimes wonder if it doesn't matter what we actually teach and it's just the, immers the immersion factor, mm. right, that's contributing uh, the majority of the value to the members. I don't know. I appreciate that you chose to say you are piping them in. That right. was an excellent choice of words. Exactly. And then you also mentioned that every day we should play at least one tune on the full bagpipes. I see yes. your bagpipes set up in that little chair stool thing behind you. Is that you part do? of the strategy? I, I, I can see them in, I, I guess after I edit this, I might not be able to see them anymore, but I do see, oh, maybe those are just sticks behind oh, yeah. the bag. Those are, those are my teaching to... pipes. Yeah. But, yeah. You, but, uh, my band, my band pipe is over there on the table too. But yeah. out on the table, that's, that's something I've talked to. I talked with Josh about it. Josh of the, Ch of Chanterant fame. Yes. Something that I did not. Terrible grips. As a... <laughs> Josh, terrible grips. M McEachran. Is, I'm just is, kidding. Is his name. <laughs> it's like his I'm just kidding. Name. I mean, if, if, if you want the honest truth about Josh's grips, I'll say it here on my own podcast, not his. Mm. Uh, but they're absolutely average. <laughs> no, they're not that bad. Um, or or was, what was the other thing you were given a hard time about? Was it his blowpipe length? Oh, yeah. Maybe, J Josh, probably. terrible grips, too long of a blowpipe. McEachran. <laughs> no, no. He's a good guy. And you know what? Yeah. You know, he's also, like me, deep down inside, extremely sensitive. So, Josh, if you're out there, buddy, I love you, man. And it's all, it's all supposed to be in good fun. <laughs> What well, um it was thanks to him that I only in recent years started this practice of having my bagpipes always out. Okay. And and that's not I'm not saying that I play them perfectly every day, but I definitely play a lot more since doing that than I used to cause just because it removes barriers. It's so much easier to just grab them and play mm -hmm. a tune when I'm done with work for the day or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Um what are are there other ideas you might suggest to help us maybe kind of make it easier to play a tune on our pipes every day? Because it can feel like a, whole, a lot sometimes. Yeah, I mean it's funny, right? It's like you you know I think "Hag at the Churn" is like an eighteen second tune, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that would qualify, in my opinion. You know, sometimes just need to get in there and whip out "Hag at the Churn" real quick, uh, and um, and then you know then you've at least carried it forward. Um, here's a tip. Uh, you can't see it right now. I'm, part of me is tempted to just move the camera and show you. Why not? We get the tour of the, see, uh, of the secret cavern, too. See the door there? Um, mm -hmm. it's, that, it's got a big calendar on it. Um, and 
Uh, it's got a big calendar on it. Um, and I bought that after I read about the Seinfeld technique. Um, and, as uh, in I, Jerry? And I, yeah, as in Jerry Seinfeld. People are like, yo, Jerry, how'd you become such a successful comedian? Um, and like, he basically said, I'm butchering this story, but uh, the anecdote. Uh, but he basically was like, I decided if I was going to get serious about comedy that I needed to write jokes. So no matter what happened, every day I wrote at least one joke. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it was a terrible joke, but sometimes it was a great joke. Uh, and sometimes it was 10. But mm. every day I did at least one. And then every day that I wrote at least one joke, I put a big red X on the calendar. And then once you get a nice string of X's on there, right, uh, you don't want to break the chain. So you just keep writing jokes and you just keep mm. writing and you just keep writing. And um, that points to... Uh, a key principle, it's one of our 11 commandments of mastery at the dojo, which is daily action versus massive action. Mm. Uh, and it's one of the absolute, you know, not secret, but it's one of the absolute most important elements of learning is that you need to do it a little bit, at least a little bit, preferably a lot, but uh, at least a little bit every day. And you got to keep the chain going. You got to get into the habit of doing the learning that you're trying to do. You just got to do it. Anyway, mm. the calendar, uh, if you looked closely at the video, you'll notice I haven't used it in a while. But anytime that I have a big goal that I'm shooting for, like last summer, for example, when I was learning all the material for the Inverarian District concert, it was like two hours. It was a, sp a particularly gargantuan effort. Uh, I, got the, I got the markers out and it was like, okay, every day I'm going to at least play through several of the tunes. You know, I'm, I'm at least going to pick one set and play through it at least every single day. And some days I played through the whole concert. Uh, but some days when you're just not in the mood, you at least do something, right? And at you, least do you, the one, yeah. Yeah, you keep the train going. Um, and I do that a lot with the business as well. You know, so when you have a big project that's going to take 11 months to complete, right? The daily action is the key. And mm. you never want to get in a situation where uh, you feel compelled to do massive action. Now, let's take this back to piping. How do most people pipe? Most people pipe not at all until they get to band practice uh, and then they play for three hours, yeah. right? Like that's, yep. un uh, unfortunately, that's how most people do it. Um, and then even good pipers um, will get into this weird habit where they don't practice during the week and then they do large practice sessions on the weekends, all right? This, that's bad, right? Uh, imagine, uh, imagine only eating healthy on the weekends. Imagine, mm. my favorite one is, imagine only brushing your teeth once a week, but it's okay because you do it for four hours on the weekend, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. obviously, that's not it. We all know that the way to keep your teeth healthy is, you know, uh, some very simple, basic daily maintenance, and that's, you know, that that's going to get that's going to keep your teeth 90 percent of the way healthy. And then your dentist will take take care and advise on the rest. Um, and the same is true for piping. But anyway, yeah, play at least one tune on full bagpipes every day. So when playing, then we, we have this list and most days we should be uh, hone in on essential fundamentals. And there's this order of priority. Why yeah. is rhythmic accuracy number one? Rhythmic accuracy is number one because it is uh, the root of all of the finger work stuff that we do. I was just talking to a friend in my band uh, 
who she recently joined the band and um one thing that came up in our conversation was that it feels like uh we in large part hop over rhythmic accuracy for our new players and do other things and later hopefully come back to rhythmic accuracy at some point yeah, yeah. seems like a bad idea maybe oh terrible <laughs> idea uh, a terrible idea and um 80 to 85 to 90 percent of all sloppy finger work is really just sloppy rhythm hmm. interesting uh, i can walk you through it real quickly right mm -hmm. um crossing noises anybody in your band or you have crossing noises <laughs> can you imagine me playing crossing noises <laughs> i won't yes, make you admit most, it on the most, air but... most definitely yeah okay so what are crossing noises right crossing noises are some fingers moving at the wrong time relative to other fingers. That's all it is. Yeah. But what's yeah. the secret little word snuck in there? Time. What is rhythm? Rhythm is, you know, a musical, in, or at least for our purposes, rhythm is like a musical word for uh, the control over when things happen, what time they mm -hmm. happen, right? So crossing noises, our, finger works mo our, fi our fingers moving at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, hypothesis. If I teach a student to clap rhythms of a tune with great accuracy to a metronome, their crossing noises will go away. That was a hypothesis I once had. And then I tested it on a mass scale, right? Across hundreds of Dojo U students. And what did we find, right? We found that with, after one month of focusing on rhythm, specifically rhythm, nothing else, 80% of all crossing noises uh, Dojo wide magically disappeared. That is, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, we talk about it in the book. It's a 100% true story. And if you don't believe that rhythm will fix your crossing noises, all you have to do to prove me wrong is just go focus on rhythm really hard and see whether or not many of your crossing noises magically disappear. I definitely mm -hmm. think it'll be at least 80%. Yeah. Yeah, there will we'll surely be on... some that might be, you could work on just from, from finger dexterity. But right. it makes sense that a lot of it's them all go. It's all timing, right? Mm -hmm. And then we can move our way. So that's, uh, crossing noises are the main, el uh, the main enemy of scale navigation. But then we have grace notes. Like, now, do grace notes have anything to do with uh, at what time they're supposed to be played? Are big, open, sloppy grace notes uh, because you have big, open, sloppy fingers? Or is it because you're unclear as to exactly when that grace note is supposed to happen? Right, yeah, you're, you're opening up the grace note uh, gate too early, right? <laughs> right, Just leaving exactly. it open for too long. If you make the discussion about rhythmic accuracy instead of other bagpipe buzzwords, you will be amazed at the results. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of people criticize the dojo because we love to use the metronome, but the metronome is just kind of like you might use a measuring tape if you're going to build a structure, right? Yeah. yeah. Could you build it by eye? I'm sure some super talented people could build a structure by eye without a measuring tape, but boy, a measuring tape really, uh, yeah. really helps, right? And so the metronome can help prove to us whether we're um, playing things exactly when we intend to play them or not. That's what makes it such a great tool. And again, note the word tool there. Obviously, I would never advocate, uh, you know, someone perform with a metronome going or something, right? We use the metronome mm. to train our sense of timing. But I digress, right? So that's why rhythmic accuracy is first. It's the root of everything, finger work yeah. wise. And then, like, why is the finger work happening before the bagpipes? Well, that's fairly self-explanatory. 
so like the bagpipe skills come a little bit later just because that's the workflow that mm -hmm. most of us have used. We didn't start learning the bagpipes with the, with the full pipes, right? We started on the practice chanter. Um, it would be an interesting experiment to try it the other way around, but you know, for now, this is you know probably the best order. Mm -hmm. um, so then, anyway, from rhythmic accuracy, we then go to scale navigation, which is just another way of saying we're going to go from note to note cleanly with no crossing noises. That would be another thing we want to practice. Grace is there a point. level at which yeah. you would say like a piper can be doing their 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 scale navigation accuracy exercises on their their tune that they're playing or like mm -hmm. should we always be doing little like you know do 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 you know like little arpeggiated uh uh um, exercises what are those called exercises yeah yeah so i don't advocate uh for most people that they do a lot of exercises mm. uh the reason being is most people don't have well first of all most people are not gonna love doing that uh and then the second thing is most people don't have a lot of time in the day yeah. Right. So for most people, I'm going to advocate, you know, uh, playing a wide variety of different tunes. OK. And then in the context of those tunes, focus on the quality of the rhythm and and the quality of the scale navigation and not to over focus on arpeggios. Now, with all that said, you know, that's just a general thing that you know, that's just a general thing. And then there might be some cases where it's like, whoa, bro, I'm going to put you on some exercises right now because. Mm. We got to work on that, you know, so there, there were definitely, you know, in moderation, we're definitely going to sprinkle in some exercises here and there, but in general, we would, we would have a, a tune focus, something that's fun. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, something that's fun and, and maybe applicable, right? Because a lot of mm -hmm. people, we don't have a lot of time. So if we do have some time to practice, we want to be practicing our band tunes or something like that. Uh, but you can practice scale navigation in the context of your band tunes pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's more of a practical thing. And I think it's logical that we move from scale navigation, which in my mind that says melody notes to grace note quality. That's right. right? It's very difficult. You can't have any melody on the bagpipe without grace notes. Uh, mm -hmm. If there's any point in the melody where there's two of the same note in a row. Right. So yeah. very, very shortly after we learn the scale, we have to learn at least a couple of grace notes. Right, because because uh, the bagpipe has no other way to separate notes. So mm -hmm. grace note uh, quality, and we talk about the quality of grace notes. Okay, uh, there's good grace notes and there's bad grace notes, and um, you know as we do this, Jim, let's fast forward because we're going to do chapter three of finding bagpipe freedom soon yeah, on the podcast. That's true, and mm -hmm. we'll we'll do uh, we can do every line item one by one. Good point. But we'll just do I'll just do a quick general overview yeah. here. So like the next one. You know, once we're playing a few things cleanly on the practice chanter, is uh, bagpipe blowing mechanics and posture. So just steady blowing cycle, making sure we're holding the pipes well. Uh, and we want to continually work on that. Even advanced players want to continually keep an eye on that basic, uh, you know, basic blowing mechanics and making sure that the bagpipe is fitting our body nicely. Uh, next thing on the list is tuning drones together. That's one of the two things you need to be able to do to tune your pipes. Okay, one thing is tuning all the drones together. Uh, later on, um, number seven is tuning drones to the chanter. But before we do that, we want to learn a, uh, number six on the list is optimal blowing pressure is a big mm -hmm. thing, right? So uh, that's a fundamental that gets overlooked by most teachers. 
but it's like just because your chanter reed is making a sound does not mean that you're blowing that chanter reed at its optimal pressure, okay? Uh, which we would call the nickname for that is the sweet spot. We want to make sure we're getting the best possible sound quality out of that chanter reed, um, and that depends on what pressure you're blowing at. So we need to identify that ideal pressure and blow at it. From there, we'll calibrate our drone reeds, by the way, to that pressure, and our bagpipe will be solid as a rock. Okay. Uh, then once we have identified the optimal pressure, then we'll fill in the blank. Uh, the second thing with bagpipe tuning that we're going to need is we need to learn to tune the drones to the chanter. Okay. But that's something that you need to do hundreds of thousands of times uh, in order to master it. Right? Don't so I you, know it? I've done it hundreds of thousands and I'm still not mastering it. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. So uh, maybe we could talk about that. Get you and Josh together for a little group lesson or something. Okay, um, uh, eight, avoid mental blowing anomalies. This one sounds weird, but have, yeah. you, ever hit, have you ever hit like a high A uh, and the, the pressure just surges and goes really high on your pipes and you can't quite that explain why? That is a constant why? struggle for me, yes. Yeah, yes. but does that happen to Stuart Little or Jack Lee when they play? No. No. So no, and It's one of the main things that I notice about these amazing players is how rock steady they are, man. Just yes, just right on through. And it turns out we can. That's you know. It turns out we can objectively work on that quality mm. as well, and we need to uh, on a regular basis. Then we talk about number nine, right? Way down the list is embellishments, uh, and then number ten is some of the basic expression technique that's important when you're a piper. Uh, and those are the ten things, right? We'll talk about them in more depth lately. Or lately. We'll talk about that in more depth shortly. Later. Shortly later. or later. Right. Later. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, those are the things that you're going to be honing most days. Mm. So, so then beyond those objective, those objective essential fundamentals, you also suggest that uh, we need to practice a wide this array of This is where it really tunes. gets good. Yeah. This is where the hundred words really gets good. When you say as, as wide an array of tunes as humanly possible, does that mean marches, strass, bays, and reels? Or does that yeah. mean also like reggae and, and jazz? And like how, how out there are we getting here, Andrew? Dabble. Yeah, like I mean if you hear a nice reggae riff that you feel like it'll fit on the pipes, you, you got to try it. Sick. And see, I'm and see what happens. You know, like we used to do when we were kids, we used to do um, – You know what I mean? We used to do that all the time. Yeah. Yep. And then there's always like. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I wondered if you're going to go up yeah. there. You did. That was very well. Well, you have to, right? And then you learn, yeah. like, that's a great way you learn about, like, what are the real restrictions of the bagpipe chanter this is This is um, playing, right? Yeah. When we talk about playing an instrument, this is the this is the element of play, right? Yeah, maybe I should change practice to play. Play mm. as wide an array of tunes as humanly possible, just to sneak the word play in there. Yeah, because, mm. yeah, it is kind of fun. It should be fun. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not fun, you're, you're probably missing the point. Yeah. But, yeah, lots of tunes, and different kinds of tunes, different speeds, different, uh, different uh, playing levels, uh, different... Uh, you know, simplified, fully embellished, somewhere in between. Uh, play, play it in the band style, play it in the solo style, mix it up, do all the mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that then you end that paragraph with afterwards, 
Right. So like after you've done this, the singularly focused, short, objectively, um, uh, yes or no question kind of focused well, practice. Yeah. Are you skipping ahead? Because we got to the, these. I am skipping words, ahead. No, yeah, get, we got to get these words in the kay. middle. They're extremely important. OK, let's get those. Then. Every you, so one you, of these hundred and three words was like, you know, I slaved over them. Excruciatingly extracted and, yeah. and, and parsed down. If only you um, knew. So, so we, we've got keep practice very short. Why? No, you skipped. No, you said be wary of routine. You You're it. right. I skipped be wary of routine. I apologize. Yeah. Be wary of routine, first of all. Yes. What's wrong with routine? Don't do the same thing every day. Mm. Right? That, that's going to turn you into a bicep curl chicken leg guy. Mm -hmm. Did we talk about that this conversation or the last one? Uh, I think that was the last one, but you know, my brain does get foggy. Pretty sure it was the last yeah. one, though. Yeah. So if we always do exactly the same thing, we can really run into trouble. You know, um, you should practice in different locations. You should do different things when you practice. You should not be afraid to mix it up. You should practice at high tempo. You should practice at lower tempo. Um, you should hop on one foot. Maybe not, but why not? But Balance maybe. on one foot yeah. while you play and see if you can still mm -hmm. do it. You know, uh, I remember Alan Bevan used to be like, you know, when it gets really close to Inverness, I start playing my Pbrox twice through. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I could do that. But you know, he wanted to see if his... He wanted to pressure test the bagpipe and see if it would stay in tune for that long and see if he could yeah. keep his focus for that long, you know, but, uh, yeah. Oh, you know, another good one is like Stephen McCorder and I, and I think he still does this. Uh, well, I, maybe I should, but like he'll take the MSRs and he'll just play the parts in reverse. Oh, continuously. Wow. Right. So he would start with the sixth part of the reel, fifth part of the reel, fourth part of the reel, and then we'd do the whole thing backwards. And, you know, that's just a way of mixing up the routine to really test how good your focus is, whether or not you really know the material, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. That puts me in mind of, in so, of some of the descriptions Stephanie Burns has had of, like, being able to, like, mentally see your sheet music, as it were, and just, yeah. like, play it from that image, kind of. Just, By the way, that just, sounds terrible to me. Is that it would be a cool superpower. It, it would be, a, I, I can, I can imagine enjoying having that superpower. It, the, the context in which she advocates for it is if you mess up halfway through a tune and you only have a mechanical memorization of that tune, you have to go back to the beginning to get back to where yeah. you were. Whereas if you mess up in the middle and you have a clear understanding of that whole tune, you can pick up again from the middle, right? You can pick up from anywhere. Yeah. But like, imagine if uh, people performing Hamlet, we're visualizing the actual written words on the page in their mind instead of actually just under, understanding what those, you know, words were representing and, and producing that instead. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes sometimes some of that stuff bugs me, right? Well, maybe we what we should we, what we should do is get Stephanie Burns on here and let you two just go at yeah. it while Josh and I are in the corner trying to figure out how to play grips. Huh? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> like, okay, all right, you and Josh, you go over in the corner now and. Stephanie, are gonna have no. I mean, like, no. I'm sure. Uh, I'm. I'm sure she. We're probably in agreement, but uh, I wouldn't be. I. I wouldn't be advocating anyone to try to memorize what the sheet music looks like. Yeah. Next. Um. She. She could describe it better than I could succinctly right now. It's. Um. It, it's. It. It's cool. I promise. It's, okay. I've, I've. But. But yeah. Get. Let's get back to your hundred words here. Um. So being wary of routine, and then, uh, why would we? be keeping our practice very short. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this recently, uh, keeping practice very short. It's because like real practice is real uncomfortable. Mm. 
right? So real practice, we should be, you know, pushing the envelopes of our abilities and we'll, we'll definitely be like applying tons and tons of focus. And uh, when I really practice, it, it ain't fun. Like not really. So that makes me feel like maybe an issue is that we use the word practice too flippantly, too, yes. too generally. When, yeah. we, when we really should say I'm playing or I'm rehearsing a routine kind of thing, that's well, not practice, actually practice. Like practice is something that will make you better. Mm. Okay. So if I'm just doing reps of the band right. sets yeah. over and over. That's and not I practice. Usually, I'm not getting any better. I would usually call it practice. I right. See I would call that like ingrainment or something. Mm. Like I would call mm -hmm. that ingraining. Uh, yeah. So ingraining, by the way, sometimes you got to do it, right? Like at some point I have to ingrain the band material uh, because I absolutely must not make any sort of mistake. Mm. Right. So at some point I have to switch to ingrainment mode. Okay. But like, by the way, is ingrainment even a word? Probably not. It I'm adopting now. it though. It is now y'all. Call somebody call Webster's. All right, uh, we do. Have, we have how many more times we have to use it before it's a real word? I don't know. But anyway, uh, practice is different. Practice, if it doesn't make you better, it's not practice. Mm. Okay. So like, uh, and therefore, you know, and then to get better, it's not. It's not really comfortable. Think about like, how do you get more fit? It's like, well, you have to do all those uncomfortable workouts. How do you lose weight? It's like, well, you have to eat a slightly uh, less comfortable quantity of food and you have to eat a slightly less comfortable, uh, slightly less comfortable types of food as well, like carrots, like they're very difficult to chew. <laughs> uh, and they, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they don't smear grease all over your face, which is really sad. I'm always really yeah. sad and, unless I have the grease smear. But anyway, yeah. I digress, <laughs> right? So real improvement is going to be uncomfortable. So we want to... You know, as pipers, we want to keep our, our practices very short mm -hmm. to the point, okay? We want to keep them singularly focused and objective. And then, by the way, when you're done practicing, that doesn't necessarily mean you're done playing. As a matter of fact, as I put in the words, after you're done with your extremely short practice session, okay? Think like, you know, five minutes is probably a good practice session for a beginner. Maybe 10 to 15 minutes for an intermediate. Uh, and then maybe, like you might, be, I think people would be shocked how little the best players in the world actually practice. I have been every time I've got a little glimpse. It's absolutely shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And you might be tempted to say that Piper, that the great Pipers, uh, you know, practice for a really long length of time. The only time that might be true is the, the really great long range P-Brock players. <laughs> That's just a joke. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what's long range about them, but uh, you know, it's like the long range endurance P-Brock athletes, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, like they might practice for 90 minutes at a time because they got to get through, you know, they, just have, they have to, to get That's through four 20 is. minute tunes yeah. in a day and yeah. still, and they still have to play through a couple MSRs, you know, or something right. like that. So like those guys at crunch time might be 90 minutes in a day. Yeah. Maybe. But, probably but that's like the absolute, time. probably yeah. not forever. Those are like the absolute ultra endurance Peabrock athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So, and then uh, aside from that, I think you'd be shocked how so little, how little practice, even the most advanced players uh, undergo. Th this is further evidence to me that like a, a more precise use of language is helpful because what I would have referred to as practice previous to this conversation would have been all the time that I spend playing my instrument that's not in front of a crowd. 
That's the way I would have used the word. But when you say keep your practice session short and afterward play for enjoyment, first of all, that sounds nice to me. It sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. And secondly, and now I can clarify in my own head and go, okay, for the first five, 10 minutes, that's when I practice. I've got objective things I'm working on. And I don't then put my pipes down and walk away. Then I get to have fun. Right. Dessert pipe. We call it dessert piping at the dojo. Mm, Dessert piping. Yeah. Right. So like when you're on a diet, uh, should you never have dessert? I don't know about you, Jim, but not that, sustainable for that me, does no not way. sound like a diet I personally would be ready to sustain yet. Right. Like Tom mm. Brady can sustain it. Tom Brady makes like, well, made, he's retired now, but he made like, you know, I don't know, 55 million a year plus endorsements for never having dessert. Or at I least could that be was motivated. Yeah. At, at that level, yeah, I could be motivated to avoid desserts. That's right. Fair. Exactly. <laughs> and so, like, you know, and so, but he probably had to work up to that. Mm. I don't know if you saw like his, the pictures they took of him, like uh, at the NFL Combine or whatever, but he was like super pudgy and like not, he wasn't, he wasn't full Tom Brady yet. Yeah. Um, you know, so like, you know, so th- that suggests that he had to build up to that point where mm. he could literally go with no dessert. Uh, and by the way, I don't think that many pipers do that, but even if they, even if there are some that do, there's no doubt they had to work up to it. So, so we, we want to balance our practice time and our dessert time. Okay. And the, you know, the more real practice time you can, you can squeeze in there, theoretically, the faster you'll get better, but is that sustainable? Mm-hmm. And the answer for most people is no, right? Like most of us have maybe half an hour in the day for real piping. Okay. All 30 of those minutes cannot be uncomfortable practice. Right. It's, it's I not mean, sustainable. Most of us are doing this supposedly, ostensibly, because we love it and it's fun. But if we right. take all the love and fun out of it, then are we going to keep doing it? Yeah. Probably and not. practice, like, like the results of practice are fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For sure. But you're not going to, there's, a, there's a quite a long tail on that. You're not going to see the, the results of your hard practice for like a while, typically. Sometimes you have breakthroughs. But sure. people get hooked on the breakthroughs mm-hmm. and then they don't want to practice anymore because they're not having a breakthrough every time. Like that, you, the breakthroughs are going to stop coming eventually. You're going to hit your plateau. And from there, what do we need? We need, you know, five, maybe 10 minutes of hard focus practice. But don't do more than that, especially if you only have a half an hour in the day, right? Because you got to get, you got to squeeze some fun in there. And, and we want to just, we want to find that right intensity mm-hmm. um, that, that can actually keep us going and sustain us. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's my problem with dieting and nutrition, right? I can eat super clean for about four and a half days, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And then some sort of triggering event then happens. Like I have a super crappy day, you know, or, uh, or it's Friday night and mm-hmm. my, my wife wants to go out to dinner Ooh. Or, or there's a party or, you know, uh, you know, or it's somebody's birthday or, you know, someone just freaking shows up with a cake. Like, people, stop doing that. But anyway. People do that, right? It's like, yeah. and it's only, it's only when you're trying to eat better that, like, suddenly someone will be really, really nice and show up with treats for you. Or my wife's like, my wife's like, hmm, you know what? I'm going to bake bread this weekend. And you're like, no. Because <laughs> it's all, you can't, I can't, I can't hold myself back. And I think the reality is, uh, if I could just have a little bit of bread and, like, you know, a little bit a very yeah. moderate amount, you know, after I've make, made sure I take care of my healthy eating. And then, then if I could sustain that for like two years 
without having these like big giant wild fluctuations, you know, in what the idea would be, that would probably be the way to get the job done. And it's no different with piping, right? Mm. Like just do a little tiny bit, a little bit, not a big bit, do a little bit of real practice. Mm-hmm. That's stuff that's designed to make you better and by definition makes you uncomfortable. Do a little bit of that every day, followed up by uh, as much playing for enjoyment as you like, as you have time for. Mm-hmm. Done. I, I love, it's such an optimistic picture, Andrew. It's just beautiful. It's not hard. You just got to get, you got to get serious about not being so serious or something. Mm. Something yeah, like that. I like that. Yeah. All right, let's so finish you- this up. Yeah, you round it off with uh, regularly put yourself in new challenging musical situations. Yes. Play for self-expression, never accolades. Well, let's do the second sentence later. Let's do the first sentence first. Regularly okay. put yourself in new challenging musical situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what might that look like for somebody who's not Stuart Little? Good question. So I can tell you what it's looked like for me over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. uh, I've uh, played in rock bands. I played different instruments. Like I used to play a lot of drums. So I played a lot of drums and a lot of different things, which is cool. That's a new challenging musical situation. Maybe it doesn't require the bagpipe at all. How many listeners have like honestly done some real dabbling with tenor drumming technique? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Tenor drumming technique would be cool. Or some snare drumming. Like I've, you know, I'm a grade three snare drummer in the USPBA. Not bad, man. One of these days. I've also achieved, I've also passed phase four of snare drumming freedom at Dojo University. Have you? Yeah. One of these days I'm going to pass phase five, but I digress. Um, yeah, like new musical situation, but that's just like, you know, and then I played in pipe bands for a while. And then um, Jack Lee one day invited me to play in SFU. So I did that. That was like hugely challenging. Talk about uh, interacting with pipers better than you. Mm, Yikes. Yeah. That was just a, you know, hugely influential series. <laughs> I went from winning any competition where I didn't screw up uh, in the East to knowing I will never win again in the West. That's your uh, big fish in a small pond being thrown into the ocean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's good to get your ass beat badly, you know, cause like I knew I would never win again. Alan Bevan yeah. plays at all the events I play at. Andrew Bonar plays at all the events I play at. Yori Chisholm's there, by the way, the Lee sons, are like yeah. one or two years away from being able to beat me unless I'm at, in my absolute top form. And then maybe only sometimes I'll beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it, it was just bananas. Uh, it, was, it was so uh, great to play there. So, so, cool. one, it, so one um, uncomfortable situation that a lot of us have available to us that we can put ourselves in is precisely solo competition. Ooh, Another yeah. one that comes to mind is uh, social media. It's like, I, 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 I realize that like, I, I don't know, you feel free to tell me if you disagree, Andrew, but it feels to me like, let's just flood the internet with people playing bagpipes. And it's okay if it's uh, just people in their backyard having fun playing bagpipes. Having a camera focused on you makes you feel uncomfortable. And so that can be a situation where you put yourself in a musically uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, that's a tough one for me to immediately commit to, Jim. Uh, However, I agree with the general premise that uh, we should flood the internet with bagpipes, but it should be good piping. And by good piping, I don't mean that it sounds like Jack Lee. That's not what I mean. 
but what I mean is it's not like weird status-based cosplay bagpiping. Hmm. You know, I think you know we I mean? all know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like and that, uh, and instead it's people like you know, um, honestly doing their best to produce good tone and tuning, uh, and and good fingerwork fundamentals. You mm-hmm. know, in the efforts to actually express something meaningful, interesting. Yeah, I, I have a friend who uh, puts pretty regularly, she'll put a video of herself just doing her practice session in her like shed or garage, you know, and it's just like her band tunes. And it's like, sometimes she accompanies it with a caption, not always, but sometimes she just express like, I'm working on strike-ins, you know, mm-hmm. and she put it, puts it out there. And I appreciate cool. the willingness to put it out there, you know. Yeah, but I here's that. A, here, uh, another thing that occurs to me, Andrew, is um, Eric, Avenha- Eric Avenhouse, Evenhouse, Evenhouse, his last yeah. name, no, nobody Evenheis. can pronounce it. It's just Evenhuis. like... It's just like Peabrook. Nobody can pronounce Eric's last name. Yeah. Um, but he did, Deep. years ago, he bought one of those just the course things from Dojo on uh, music composition, if I remember oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And and that's another way. It's not performance-based, but it it's it just occurs to me as another another way you can put yourself in a new and uncomfortable musical situation. It doesn't actually have to be performing either it might be Agreed. i'm going to learn how to write harmonies right that's yeah. that's new and uncomfortable you know a great one a great one for you know for people who are geographically isolated or something like that or you know uh is just garage band garage band comes for free Love on your band. iphone or your ipad mm-hmm. uh or your mac right and i think you can get it for free on pc now mm, really i didn't know that yeah like i think you just go and download it but anyway and like even if not there are similar cool. things out there yeah. Yeah. Like GarageBand, you can play with drum loops and you can program, you know, guitar riffs and chord progressions and bass guitars and symphony orchestras. And you can like mix and match it and like do all sorts of stuff, which may or may not include bagpipe, uh, you know, accompaniment. Uh, but it's still really cool and makes you really, you know, it's going to way improve your music- musicianship and the way you think about things. But anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. regularly put yourself in new challenging musical situations. In New York, we have Bagad, New York. Mm. You know, and a lot of people head out to that because it's fun and new and interesting. And yeah. it's really cool. You know, um, I think that uh, I became pipe major of the Oren Moore pipe band. That was a hugely new challenging musical situation for me. Uh, and then after that was done, uh, I went and played with Inverary, which again, it's like, yikes. Uh, there's a lot of people in that band that are way better than me in many mm. respects. And so it's a cool situation to be in. What's next? So not quite play sure. Play for self-expression, not accolades. Yeah, that's the kicker, isn't it? But I like accolades, Andrew. I like the claps. Me I too. I like to get claps. Look at all. I got, it's hard to see them, but I got like a lot of my accolades are lined up there yeah. on the wall. It, it's hard to see mine because, oh, yeah, I don't have any. But uh, I do like having people clap for me. That's the thing, too. So, Yeah. So, yeah, I got my world championship thing that my kids made for me when I Aww. won the world the first time. And then, I, That's pretty sweet. And then I've got, like, I've got my university thing. I've got my, uh, ooh, uh, Scottish Qualifications Authority uh, Professional Development Award for Scottish bagpipes. I've got that on the board. I, I don't know if you'll be able to see after I cut it, but I have a mug right here with a little graduation monkey in it that my sister gave to me where she used uh, black black paint. So instead of saying class of 07, it says ass of 07. Yeah, yeah. Classic. That, well done. Good work, sister. Yeah, nice one. Very good. Um, and then uh, 
Yeah, I've got uh, my CrossFit Level One certification there too, uh, with a free with a free ticket to hitch a ride on the back of the next comet that comes around. Oh yeah, that comes uh, with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, but anyway, accolades are great, but accolades mm-hmm. are a, a natural byproduct of um, you know playing for self expression, and yeah. not the, and it's not the other way around. It occurs to me that like that that classic idea of having an internal locus of control. If you're playing for the accolades, you're giving that locus of control to something external exactly. that you can't that you control. cannot control. Amen. Right? Uh, Ryan Holiday would not approve. You know, being the author of the Daily Stoic, mm-hmm. he would he would not be up for that. Yeah. No. Exactly. We want to keep we want to keep uh, our focus on things that we have the ability to control. Uh, which, by the way, I don't know if it was this conversation or our last one, we talked a lot about uh, practicing objective fundamentals versus subjective ones. It's come uh, up a few times, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, that, that's the same exact thing. Mm. It's like when you are trying to practice subjective ideas, what are you really doing, right? It's mm. like you're giving all your power away uh, to some abstract idea, which, by the way, was told to you by someone else that you mm. need to do. Right. And it's not yours. It's not something you can measure. It's not something you have the control over whether or not it comes out good or bad. Uh, if one of the warning signs that your bagpipe teacher is maybe not the best for you uh, is when all they talk about are weird, abstract, subjective things and they never get mm. down and they never get down to the bottom line. Right? That could either be a defense mechanism sort of shielding the fact that they don't actually know what they're talking about, or it could be a control thing where it's, yeah. where it's like you have to, you know, because you see a lot of that in the piping world. It's like you have to play it this way or you're not my people anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? You see that a lot. Or it's like this is how we do this in our band. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, define this. Well, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of, pu- it's, you know, it's like push and pull and lift and then you bounce the ball and then you, and then you smooth the edges you and then it's like the light quality. and shade. Yeah. And then you don't play too fast, but then not too slow either. And then make mm. sure that, you know, you're, you're slowing down and don't be round and then, yeah, make sure watch, yeah. watch out for that. And then make sure you hold that note, but then you cut that note, but then play these notes a little bit smoother and then you hold that note. Nope. What are you doing? Don't hold that note so much. What are you crazy? And then you got to, oh, but then you know, you got to smooth that note. This, like, this, the, the constant like floating, um, yeah. the constantly floating idea of like these, these like cult jokes that you and I keep making about CrossFit and other things like that. Right? Yes. It just feels so applicable to just pull that down one more time and just be like, this is classic, like cult of personality mm-hmm. worship behavior, yes. you know, that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, something to watch out for. And, and, you, and, you know, like, I think that there's uh, degrees of severity. Like, I don't think anybody's, sure. I don't think anybody's doing, any, well, maybe somebody out there is, but I don't think, I don't think there's anybody out there, do, you know, acting in like the fully nasty, malicious ways. I think it's like, right. it's important a lot of times, especially in the piping world, because it's so small. Like, we have to separate some of these ideas from the people. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, totally. it's not really yeah. about any, it's not really about any individual person, but you know, like somehow we got to get over the hump uh, yeah. with a lot of this and it needs to become a little bit less dogmatic and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, back to the main point, play for self-expression, uh, self-expression. It, rem- it reminds me of the, it reminds me of the Crane Fresh episode of South Park, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. play for self-expression, never for accolades. So, you know, focus on, the music that you're trying to uh, create and what makes it uniquely your music 
mm-hmm. um, and you know make that sort of the end goal, doing something that's really expressing your own unique point of view. And the accolades will be a natural byproduct of that from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, the piping world is very competition based. So, you know, accolades are always kind of there. There's always someone around winning some accolade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, letting that, letting your focus default to that. Uh, but it's really important to uh, snap out of that when, when you find yourself. Uh, and, and, and again, I do my best, but sometimes I end up in that situation too. It's, you know, it's why I've really struggled with solo competing, why I don't really mm. do it. It's because it kind of like, it, it's really hard, right? It's like you're on your 19th hour of PBROC practice, you know, that week, which by the way, violates other principles perhaps that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. but you're on your 19th yeah. hour of practicing, you know, the same four P-Rocks over and over again. It's pretty hard not to get, you know, end up defaulting to over-focusing on competition results. Yeah. Yeah. I think again, the geographic isolation plays into it a little bit, right? Mm. So for me, preparing to compete way overseas, it's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Jack, Jack Lee is, shown it can be done but man it's hard i think it probably is easier when you're in scotland right because you know you'll go to a lot of the other minor events and you'll make friends and you can hang out and have good times you know regardless of what happens with your performance and stuff but like the more isolated you are i think the harder that gets maybe that maybe that's something to revisit if i play solos in the future that makes sense. If in your situation, it's more you're like stuck in a basement room by yourself for the entire year leading up to this one event. Kind of ish. Yeah. 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 That's probably an exaggeration, but yeah. But maybe if I did it again, maybe I could seek out more minor events and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sort of like that would probably be something worth thinking yeah. about. But I digress. So that's world class bagpiping in 100 words. By the way, the, the words I like the least are world class in the title. Like, eh, it's not really about being a world-class piper or maybe it would be easy to sort of for that to accidentally seem like something that it's not supposed to be. But yeah. great bagpiping or meaningful bagpiping or rewarding bagpiping or something like that. Rewarding and meaningful both make a lot of sense to me just based on like sort of what you're driving at here with this whole like self-expression, you know, um, play, for, play for enjoyment, that kind of stuff. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I really like this. No one else likes it, but I love it. Like for me, it's just like, it's just my thesis boiled down to a hundred words. Yeah. I think it's lovely. Um, and I will, uh, let's see, I wonder, depending on where this gets just, you know, where exactly this is being distributed, I'd imagine that there's going to be a pretty easy way that myself and or Camille could, um, include, you know, the text itself in the video feed in the notes below, et cetera, something like that. Yes. And by the way, everybody, uh, as we wrap this up, go to dojouniversity.com slash ticket uh, for your comet ride, if you're interested. <laughs> the leader of this way out and wrong religion claims he'll take believers away on his spaceship to the planet Blistonia. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us 
if you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.